This week's Winefellers is brought to you by Worcestershire's Articulation and Diction Courses. Now accepting registration for <laughs> the Standy Potty. Introducing a wall-mounted upright flushing apparatus for men. The Standy Potty. We're number one. And River of Life Lutheran Church. You can't enter heaven unless Jesus enters you. Welcome to this week's episode of The Wine Fellers, right here on WHUPLP, Hillsboro, North Carolina. I'm Joe, co-founder of TrueBottle.com, your professional source for wine auction prices, and my good feller Mark here, fine wine auction director with Leland Little Auctions. And together, we are the wine Remarkably transcendental episode of the Winefellers ever. We will be taking listener calls from the people just like you, meaning the common lesser folks and the riffraff. Then we will listen to a public service announcement and go over this week's wine news, all on this week's groundbreaking episode of the Winefellers. But first, it's a wine feller super spectacular special surprise wine pairing event. But now, my favorite segment of the week. Your good fellers, Mark and Joe, explore the exciting world of tasting and pairing wine. And remember, we're always on the lookout for suggestions from you. So let's pop the cork right now on this week's episode of The Winefellers. Hey, Joe. Oh, Mark. Uh, good Monday afternoon to you, I fellas. I am so excited to be on this show. I can't tell you. Well, you, you, it's all in your voice, Mark. Well, I you, can I can tell. Do you, you don't have to tell me. Do you know how in the past I've said this is going to be the best show yet, but I've always been lying? You've been what? Well, I haven't been telling the truth in the past. Wait a minute. Yeah. This is news to me because just last week, we went round and round yeah. about how every show we said was better, and it actually was. Well, uh, so far, I have not been telling the truth. Oh, I'm just admitting Mark. to but, but what I'm telling you is today, I am telling the truth. This is the mm-hmm. best show we'll, we've ever had planned. I'm not kidding. Mm-hmm. This is it. You, I can't. Well, just wait. I mean, we have everything going on in this show. I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust you this time, Mark. Like I've trusted you every other time. <laughs> what have you got for us? Well, 
we're going to start off with a super surprise wine pairing <laughs> event. <laughs> I just can't get over the fact you've been lying to me all these all these months. No, I, I, I haven't. Well, maybe a little bit. Well, was it this kind of lie? When you wrote the uh, the intro to the episode, you were you were lying because you didn't it hadn't happened yet. You didn't know if it would be the best show ever. But then it actually became. No, I always had some idea that it wasn't going to be. But, th- but I'm telling you, I'm wrong. It's, this this one is really going to be our best show. So we're going to start <laughs> off with our wine tasting and pairing event. And what we're going to drink today is Azu wines from Hungary. These are my favorite sweet wines. They're every bit as good as Sauterne dessert wines from France. We're drinking Tok I.E. Azu. That is a, a Hungarian Wine. It is a dessert wine, and it is. Uh, it's sort of like sauterne. It's it's made by grapes shriveled, uh, shriveled up by the botrytis fungus. You mean like raisins? Yes. Oh, it's shriveled up like raisins. Oh a fungus, my gosh! A fungus causes the grapes to shrivel up, and it causes residual sugar in the grapes, and it causes just a wonderful, a wonderful sweet wine. And that's what we're going to drink. Oh my gosh! Shriveled up uh, mold wine. <laughs> that's exactly what we're <laughs> drinking. I'm not kidding. And it's, it's actually some of the most renowned, expensive wine in the world is mold wine, fungus wine. Believe it or not, <laughs> and it's it's made on purpose that way to make the grapes even sweeter and more wonderful. Oh, so I'm. So psyched. Now, this comes from Hungary. This wine comes from Hungary. Not that much great wine comes from Hungary, but this is probably their best wine. And and, and, uh, and let me just, for the listeners out there, the other big, sweet dessert wine regions are in France for the most part. Right. Especially with made with the uh, the Botrytis fungus. Uh, that would be mostly in France. But this is a, a, a wine made in similar uh, method. In Hungary, I see. So I would love for you to hear. You have some in front of you. Please try yeah, that. Yeah, of course. Let's. Uh, man, this very sweet smelling. It's Let's very sweet, and it has a great refreshing taste. Often tastes like peaches, or in this case, kind of like apricots. Actually, mm. man, that has some delicious flavors to it, and a little hazelnut and a little caramel. And we're going to be pairing it with oh my god, oh, goose, goose, goose liver pate. Are you kidding? No, I'm serious. This is man. This is such a treat. This is the best I show know. ever. Normally, when I know, you I'm normally you. normally you you have me come in here and for the surprise we're at wine pairings, it's like the the best seafood from the dollar store. I know. Or meat from a gas station. I know. This is like uh, wow. I, this is an actual real lot. This consider actually the best pairing with this wine Holy is often smokes. goose liver pate. So I want you to take a bite of the pate. This is the pate right here. And it has like nuts on it and stuff on a piece of bread. Oh, that looks so good. Mmm. Fat. Mmm. Mmm. <laughs> now, try, now try the uh, soft term. Oh my gosh. I mean the uh, soca jay. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mark. Um, That's the tokai. It brings out the, the flavor of. Oh, I mean, this wow. is incredible. Wow, that is. I um almost want to just put on a record, and eat this in peace. So with some privacy, because this is the best thing I've ever tasted. I know. So this is considered a most classic pairing of a tokai esu is with foie gras, goose liver, and you can get goose liver at different places. You can make it yourself, um, but. This is really a just, I mean, I could eat just this all day, and I'm not kidding. What? Now, the second pairing we have with this oh, yeah, yeah. is uh, Manchego, which well, is... Let me, let, me, let me back up one second. Sure. This um, goose liver pate. What are these nuts on the outside of it here? 
Uh, these are pecans on the outside of it, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's traditional when you get uh, when you get this stuff. Y- well, no, you can make it any way you want. I kind of like it. Oh yeah, it's great. And it it has a really nice another, some, some texture to another, it, another flavor to it. So it's really it's such a beautiful wine, uh, and so. Uh, now, so the next pairing is next to it is with the Manchego, which is Spanish. It's mm. a Spanish sheep cheese. I see that. And it's rich and buttery, and it goes also well with sweeter wines. So try the cheese on a piece of bread yep. with the mm-hmm. Manchego. The Manchego. Mmm. Oh, man. There's a nice, mild, little sharpness to the cheese, but very mild. It's a white cheese. Right. Mmm. Mmm. It's not bad. Mmm. But the best pairing, I still think, is the uh, the foie gras. Mm-hmm. And, you know, foie gras is an acquired taste. Not everybody likes it. It's uh, You don't find it too many places. In restaurants, you might find it in some of the finer restaurants. But even then, it's uh, you have to look for it. It's a... Uh, it's a very it's a it's, it's a fatty food. Mm-hmm. It's uh it's it, to me it's meat that tastes like butter. It it really is. I'm gonna take another bite of this liver pate off of the bread. Right. Because I just want that. You should. Here we go. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> so that's that's one of my favorite pairings that in the world that I thought I'd share with so you, Joe. Good. So. Um, if you're at home, I definitely recommend taking out tonight. Uh, take out your Tokai a Sioux, and mm. uh, which is just a dessert wine. And uh, these are often numbered from one to six. Uh, six is the sweetest, and one is the li- least sweet. Is this something people we're can dr- we're go drinking and- number five right here? Can they buy this in- at Food Lion? Uh, no. So the, you know these wines can be kind of pricey. Uh, usually they start at about fifty, and they can go on up. You know, two in the hundreds, and because uh, it's uh, it really is the national wine of Hungary. I mean, this is the, oh this gosh. is their best wine, and uh, and it's it's very difficult for them to make it with the uh, the uh, the fungus and and uh, blending that into a paste and then making that into a still wine. So this is really uh, just a a a, a, a lovely uh, pairing, and I think so. uh, and if you, and uh, I encourage everyone to try it at home. Really, it just involves buying this one. Buying this wine and buying uh, foie gras. Well, uh, Mark, as we sit here and eat this stuff, it's important to talk about the prices. It's important to remember that uh, when you talk about $50 for a bottle of wine, right? that <laughs> he's getting excited over there. When uh, when we talk about these prices, $50. Yes. $50. What, what, the list, what our listeners need to realize is this... It has more bang for its buck. Yeah, this is completely worth it. I mean, you drink this, you'll be making money, basically. <laughs> it's, it, for two reasons, more bang for the buck. First off, it has more alcohol in it. It does. What's the alcohol content in something like this? Uh, I think the alcohol in this is uh, probably closer to 20... Uh, actually, it doesn't. This is only 12%. I'm sorry. Oh, so it's a relatively lower. Yeah, this is relatively lower. I'm surprised. But yeah, this is uh, like a regular wine. Yeah, so... All right. Not really much bang for the buck. No, there. but you're still you're, you're still making money. Yeah, second second point. Okay, um, it's <laughs> it's delicious. It is one. It is a wonderful wine. You want to eat? You want to drink this? Now, how much is li- is uh, goose liver pate? Right. So goose liver pate can be a little pricey too, and and that and so with with uh, goose liver pate, you don't want to skimp. You don't want to buy your. Um, 
your <laughs> your goose Dollar liver pate store. on sale because that's a food where you truly get what you pay for, and you know you want to make sure that you eat it and after you know six hours later you still feel wonderful. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So I, <laughs> I wish we had um we every every month we've got Chef Paul on the show. Right. I want him to bring in a big tub of goose liver pate next time he comes on. Well, right, and I think we'll insist that he does bring in uh, that next time because uh, that is, uh, and he can comp- he'll <laughs> compare it with compare it whatever he wants. But I think that that is something we'll insist on. And I think that another thing is, as he brings on that yeah. pate, yeah, I want to hear the reasoning like you're giving. Why don't you want to skimp on it? How is it right. prepared? Is it, you know? If you buy some cheap stuff, are there some dangers in consuming? Right. Well, goose, goose, goose uh, foie gras, this is goose liver foie gras, and fo- goose liver foie gras is just basically just goose liver and uh, and mixed with some other things. Just raw goose liver. And uh, no, I think it's cooked, but I think the way they make it isn't probably the nicest way for the for the geese. Oh, you're talking about. Yeah, this is a na- this is not a good thing. Yeah, they mark. Well, right. So they this is uh, I, I hate to bring in some unpleasant trees here, but to make real traditional goose liver, uh, geese are force fed uh, uh, with a tube down their throat to make them fat, and mm. so that way their liver becomes fat, and uh, which makes for a better goose liver. So it doesn't. Yes, that's not a very nice way to treat an animal, uh, but that is how uh, one gets the better. Unfortunately, it gets the better. Yeah, I know, and I I just know the phones are going to light up any minute here. Well, they shouldn't because we don't make the foie gras. We don't make it. We just eat it. We just eat it. And And how is that supporting it? Well, (laughs) I was going to say that in some sense, the goose as an animal has secured its place in the universe because it has such a delicious tasting fatty liver. And it's almost like it's done this to itself. Oh, I see what you're saying. Well, no. So you're saying it'll never go extinct because well, of its- Right. Just if you know, it's, like cows. They'll be around for forever. Pigs, bacon. Right. right. I see what you're yeah. saying. But uh, the goose, we will keep it alive and torture it for eternity <laughs> as long as humanity exists. Well, we don't have to look at- uh, I mean, that's a hard way to, to look at things, but- but um, you know, we try to be really a beat on the wine fellers, and I don't really want to end on the sour note like this, Joe. What, what can we say that's going to make it better? Well, I suppose that um, what we could, Mark, remember when we had the uh, entomologist on the show? Yes, the herpetologist. Yeah, same thing, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, he talked about people in the area, right, keeping snakes, yeah, in un uh, non professional scenarios, situations, right? They're not cared for well. And you've already got everyone likes to make you know put the pressure on the the folks who are force feeding the geese, right? When if you look around here, not only are you're you're saying what are the geese's responsibility? Well, no, I'm saying this: like, where is all the pressure on the snake owners who keep snakes in poor conditions? And not just that, dogs, cats, oh. animals of all types. Now, now well, we are not fattening them to then only eat their liver, of course. Well, I mean, uh, as far as I know, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> right. What about all the human children that we're doing the same thing to? 
Oh yeah, they they you made the phone ring. <laughs> okay, you made the phone ring with that. Right. Helmet. So so uh, right. So this is uh, me, I, and actually I, I feel bad about it, and this is probably the last time I'll eat uh, goose liver foie gras. So uh, say goodbye, and uh, we'll uh, we'll uh, do this again with uh, tofu foie gras. phone is ringing. You're talking on the phone with us. One fella phone with us. Everything you hear is real. Right here on the web So what exactly is about to happen? You're talking on the phone with us. One fella phone with us. Everything you hear is real. Right here on the web uh, well, Mark, we're here, uh, and of course, if you couldn't tell, on our phone call segment. Yes, I think we, we like to do a phone call segment every once in a while, and people uh, are often asking for it because people want a chance to call in and ask the wine fellers questions. So so the the phone was ringing earlier, yes. and Mark, uh, uh, Claudia in the front office said that we have Katie from okay. Twig, Minnesota on the line. Hello, Katie. Welcome to the wine fellers. Hey, Katie. Well, hey, hey guys, how you doing? Good, good to good to hear from I you. I can't believe I got through. Well, yeah. <laughs> I can't believe you got through either. We told them don't let people through, but you got in. That's we're happy that you're here. Wow, big fan. So, so what what question do you have for the wine fellers today? Oh yeah, sure. So I keep getting uh, flyers in the mail about joining a wine club, and mm. it's also in like my glamour magazine. Okay. And um, it says that that I'll get high quality wine. They're they're really hard to find uh, wines, and then you know at really great prices for right. a monthly fee. And I'm just wondering, like, what are these wine clubs all about? Like, is this just something that I sh- am missing? You know, mm. or I should just go, you know, to my local. You know, Whole Foods or grocery store. Well, that's a great question, by the way. That, that's a really good question, Katie. Mark, I've seen these ads. Yes. Right, and I know folks who have uh, signed up for this. There's not only wine. There's cigar of the month clubs, right. and this and that. Um, exactly. Now, Katie, this particular wine of the month club, uh, if you if you can recall, are there any prices on these things, or or what is? Uh, you were, I guess normally markets, you know, it's like 19 bucks a month, something like this. Does right, that exactly. sound about right? right. And then you yeah, get a yeah. bottle each month. Well, right. Well, that's the thing. So, I mean, there's different clubs. I mean, so not all two clubs are the same. Some clubs let you choose your own wine. Other clubs, uh, the wine director make will make the choices for you. And there's like a whole range of membership prices depending on the club and the options you choose. Now, there are pros to this, for sure. I mean, so... It's they're for, making money off of it. Yeah, they're definitely doing that. But so the pros are, uh, it's sometimes for people, it's fun not to know which is, what's going to show up next. You're just sitting there at your house, and then a bottle of wine shows up, and that's fun for people you know hey what's this and it's usually an exciting packaging and you get free corkscrews and you know it's a lot of festive fun <laughs> and so and then you might might include some helpful tasting notes and especially that's good if you're starting off with wine collecting or wine drinking and um and some people want to drink nice uh, interesting wine uh that would rather and would rather just not put too much thought into it so the, for those people i think it's a great thing now katie are you are you a, would you call yourself a wine drinker yeah, so I mean, yeah, mostly red wines when it's really hot, maybe some rosés. 
Oh, excellent choice. So you already have good taste. I think here's the here's the problem with the wine of the month club, in sure. my opinion. You, go, you got it. Uh, the problem is this, that you only get one bottle of wine a month. And I understand that it's useful if you're trying to determine whether or not the wine is good. Yeah. Hey, and didn't we well, didn't we have someone on the show, Mark, who uh, so uh, let me let me back up here. All right. Every month, you get to rate one wine, basically. So it takes a long time to figure out if which ones you like. Yes. And then the people sending you the wine typically don't have a feedback mechanism to know, oh, they don't like these types of wines. Well, s- some of these clubs, you, there are ways you can rate the wine that you just had, and they'll give you more wines like this. And it's not always one bottle a month. You can join clubs that will give you a case a month. And so, Wine of the week club. Yeah. I mean, you could, there's a whole gamut of ways you can work this out. Um, you know, but here's the issue. It seems that most of this can be done through, in my opinion, through your local wine shop. Sure. So especially if you find someone who you get to know, who, who gets to know your tastes. I like that idea. And if I, I recommend going to like a local wine tasting at your wine shop, and you can meet whoever it is who happens to be running the show that day. And then they, you know, once you establish a personal relationship with someone at your wine shop, then they can, I think, do pretty much the same thing. Than the that the wine clubs can do and and you know it's my understanding of these wine clubs sometimes there's more of a profit built into the wine clubs for the owner of the wine clubs than maybe for the uh, traditional wine stores. Yeah, Jennifer, and, what, what what Mark's saying is if you went to buy one of these bottles of wine at a wine store. It wouldn't cost you the twenty dollars you're paying that month. It would cost you five dollars or six dollars. And so there's quite a oh, yeah. yeah there's quite a margin a profit margin built in there. That's right. I mean, some clubs they might offer wines that are more difficult to get in other places, and uh, so uh, you know it's all it's all uh, it's all good. And but uh, you know, there are clubs are better. Some clubs are better than other clubs. And I, if you if you find one that that looks good to you, and you find one that maybe some of your friends are using, I have absolutely no problem uh, for some our listeners to dive right on in. Yeah, I, Jen. Uh, I mean, Katie. I say do it, Mark. I'm so bad with names here. We got Claudia at the door here. Yeah, she's she's knocking on the door. She's holding up a card. Hey, I'm waving at Claudia right now with you know with Katie's name on there. Yes. Right now, I can't. I have poor, poor, terrible eyesight. <laughs> yes. And you so do. the card she first walked up to the door with was too small. I, I couldn't read it, so I m- forgot. Uh, Katie's name. I apologize, well, I, Katie. So I, bl- I mean, if, you know, truth be told, I bl- I put this squarely on Claudia's shoulder. I mean, look, we seem to run through a lot of a lot of producers and a lot of phone people, uh, a lot of answering people th- in, in the wine fellers, and we have to let go- people go from time to time. And you know, look, that's part of it. And we're not Claudia. We're not saying that we're letting you go today. Oh, oh but, my gosh! I think she just. I think you have her crying in the other room, Mark. No, Claudia, everything's fine. And Katie, sorry fine. to drag you into this inner office. Uh, drama but here's my vote go and try try a few months of the wine of the month club uh mark your recommendation i say don't try it go to your local wine store and uh, uh get a personal relationship with uh, one of the uh, wine geeks there and i think uh, you'll probably be happier in the long run all right katie thank you for your call oh sure thank you all righty Right. Now we have to tell them what just happened. Your phone is ringing. You've been on the phone with us. You're talking on the phone with us. Everything we said was real. 
I was just on the wine, fellas. Are you serious? You've been talking on the phone with us. Everything we said was real. The Zika pandemic is reaching crisis proportions, spreading into the southern United States, with nine cases diagnosed in Durham this past weekend. Your good wine fellers, Mark and Joe, work, are working tirelessly to find a cure and drink wine. <clears throat> but mostly drink wine. Uh, you're welcome. virus first labeled in 1947 with cases of microcephaly and deambaracin. The virus incubates in your body for 3 to 12 days and causes skin rash, headache, joint pain, and even a little malaise. The virus is transmitted through the bite of an infected mosquito and sexual transmission of Zika is also possible. The Zika disease is usually mild and requires no specific treatment, but there's a special concern if you're a woman you might be pregnant. I got Zika from a mosquito. Went to Puerto Rico. And now I got a fever. Symptoms of Zika usually last from two to seven days. And if you live where Zika occurs, practice safer sex activity. There is no vaccine for Zika currently on the market. So consider placing screens under windows or using insect repellent. There is so much we don't understand about the Zika virus. And we need more studies to find out the disease's effect on the developing fetus. If you happen to live in a Zika-affected area, get rid of standing water breeding sites, but don't inflame hysteria. I got Zika from a mosquito. Was in South America. Now I got a fever. I got Zika from a mosquito. Was in Florida, and now I got a Carolina's only fine wine newscast, where your good wine fellers, Mark and Joe, discuss real wine stories from this week's news, offering you an insider's view into the fascinating and often hilarious world of fine wine, right here on WA. The 
This week on the Winefellers News, is it true that most Frenchmen make good lovers? <laughs> First-hand experience from about 25 minutes ago tells me that the answer is a resounding yes. Is it true that French women smell? Again, first-hand experience from about five minutes ago tells me that the answer is a resounding... Oh wait, my bad, that's me. Do you want an extra element of fear for your life while running a marathon? It sounds like the annual North Korean marathon is the right one for you. This and more on the news, Mark. Wow, that was a great intro. Did you like that? Yeah, you got it all in. That's amazing. Wow. All right, so, (laughs) Joe, (laughs) I am sure you've heard at least one or two stereotypes about the French. Well, we, we had uh, Flo Nose on the show the we other day. We did. We have Flo, and we asked her about that. But this now we're going to kind of broaden our experiences, more, of just, more than just kind of uh, stereotypes with French and wine, just French in general. And we're going to find out this. <laughs> how many of these stereotypes are actually true. Okay. Now I'm ready. Now, we just to make sure so our listeners don't get upset, we're not trying to... St- you know, actually stereotype people. No. But there's a magazine called Expatica Magazine, and it seems like they did. So (laughs) (laughs) Expatica Magazine decided to write an article to clear the air because, according to Expatica, stereotypes can often be damaging and hurtful, and they can often be extremely exaggerated. So just in case you're planning a trip to the wine regions in France, you really want to know which stereotypes are the right ones to believe in. (laughs) (laughs) the the article uh that Flo from uh normandy uh spoke of when she was on last Mm -hmm. Flo knows she went through that checklist we had of things to do while you're in france and most of them were dead on yeah so we're gonna go through some more i'm gonna i'm gonna say a stereotype and and you joe are gonna tell me if you think it's true or false, and I'll let you know what Expatica magazine says on the matter. And again, this is not the Weinfellers uh, just saying no, whether no, this no, is no. true or false. This is a magazine uh, somewhere, I think it's put out by people in France. All right. Uh, for Americans and, you know, people who want to educate others about uh, French, French and the French culture. France and the French culture. So I'm, I'm ready for the challenge. All right. So here's the first stereotype that Expatica comes yeah, up okay. with. Okay. French people drink a lot of wine. True or false? Hmm. Well, I from from speaking with and getting to know our own French correspondent, Flo knows. I'd have to say no. Well, the the answer is tr- it's yes, it's true. Oh, wine is super cheap in France. You can actually buy a bottle of wine in France starting for about two fifty, and actually bottled water often costs more than bottles of wine. Well, when when we were speaking with with Flo from yes, France, I remember she said that. They will drink a glass of wine only with food. Um, that's true. Well, they, I think what she said is, is if French only drink red wine with food. And if you're drinking red wine without food and you're sitting in a cafe, French automatically know that you're a tourist. Yeah. So I'm wondering if it's the French drinking all of the wine in France or the tourists. Well, I think French definitely drink their share of wine. So uh, you got that one wrong. Okay. That's okay. We'll, well try the next right, one. But I did give you some good reasoning. You did. You did. So the next the next one. French people drink... I'm sorry. I just said that. <laughs> <laughs> Ask me again. Let's see if I can get it right this time. French people <laughs> French people wear berets. Yes, of course. False. Oh, gee. Well, what about the ones in the secret military service? Well, I think that's American, isn't it? Well, yeah, but we we adopted it from the French uh, military. I said French people. 
Thinking that all French people wear berets is like thinking that all Americans wear cowboy boots and fanny packs. <laughs> Only a small percentage. No, you didn't ask me if all French people wore berets. Most. <laughs> Only a small percentage of French people actually wear berets. So I'm right. Some French people wear berets. Well, most, in fact, the vast majority do not. Okay. I'm. Uh, it seems like maybe we're both right on this one, Mark. Well, I've never seen you <laughs> wear a beret. No, uh, but I do have a special forces beret. Oh, really? Do I, you just know somebody who was in the special forces, or you just like I, to I bought it from a surplus store. Oh, good for you. A military surplus you, store. You like to walk around and just have- Stolen valor. <laughs> have, have people ask you about your time in the- uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because they take one look at me and say, wow, that guy, he, mu- he was- he was special forces material. Yeah, you tell people, yeah, I was in the Green Berets. And they say, but yeah, your beret is yellow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm colorblind, yeah, so well, I didn't yeah, know. It died in the wash. <laughs> okay, so the third one. Okay. All French women dress well. All? Most. Most French women <laughs> dress well. Well, that's up for debate because some people may consider a dress well, some not. Well, I'm going to need a true or false from you on this one. Oh, man. Uh, true. I think most I think most French women will dress just fine. How could you be doing this poorly? What? The answer is false. Oh, come on, Mark. I mean, I don't think you've got any of them yet. Ugh. The stereotype that all French women dress like supermodels out of a... Uh, well, you didn't say supermodels. No, no, but I'm saying the stereotype that they dress like really well, like, you know, supermodels is... No, you did not use supermodels in the question. Okay. In fact, they pretty much dress the same as they do in the United States with one small caveat. Okay. The French wear lots of scarves. <laughs> That's what it says. The French wear a lot of scarves and they tend to wear some nicer shoes. Than if Americans you're wearing a scarf, in my opinion, you're dressing well. Yeah, I mean, so therefore, most French are dressed well. Yeah. So the other day, I went running, as you know, with I usually wear like a, in a hot day like this, like a tank top and shorts. I put a scarf on. I dressed myself up a bit, and it looked nice. I bet. Did any French tourists come asking you for directions? I don't know. I mean, I was. I mean, it's the kind of thing. It makes even makes you look run faster. It makes you look like you run faster than you're running because you're running fast and the <laughs> scarf is tailing behind you. <laughs> it's a uh, it's a scene. So <laughs> a runner's scarf. Yeah, it's a runner's scarf. Hmm. Well, if if a runner's scarf is silk, I think I got that last one right, Mark. Okay, so the fourth one. Okay, boy, I, ho- I really want you to get one, Joe. I'm trying. French women don't. Shave. All French women. Well, okay. French women compared to relative to United States women don't oh. shave. Do do f- women in France shave? You're talking about shaving their. Do they shave? Well, no, their arm, legs, arms. their arms, they shave their, their arms, armpits. Yes, yeah, less. Uh, is it less likely to happen with a French woman than American women? Uh, I I'd say given all of the um, uh, uh, beauty products for sale on TV during the Super Bowl razors and lipstick and uh, how infatuated most people here are with self-image on Facebook, I'd say we do way more shaving here. Okay, so the answer is false. So so you got it wrong again. Well, no, yeah. French, French women do shave a lot, the proportion, more than here. The proportion of women in France who don't shave in the sa- is the same as the United States. So it's equal. It's equal. Mm. You said it was more. So again, I can't believe you. you I didn't know... I didn't know equal. You said it was true or false. Equal is not an answer. That's false. <laughs> I don't make the rules. <laughs> this is expat. Oh, I'm bombing, Mark. Yeah, I know. This is expatica magazine. Man, does, before you go to 
France. You need to learn some stuff. Well, I'm learning right now. Number right here on the wine fellas. Here on the wine fellas. Hey, if you're just tuning in, I have to say this every time, Mark. If you're just tuning in, you are listening to the wine fellers with your good fellers, Mark and Joe. Follow us on Instagram. Get us on the Twitter. Look at us on the Facebook, and I guess subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Yes, and right now we're going over a wine story from Expatica magazine that goes over a typical stereotypes attributed to the French, and we're going over whether they are true or not according to that periodical. And I see you waited until after the wine tasting to quiz me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a little slower right oh, now. Oh, is that why? Yeah, of course. No, I want you to succeed. <laughs> What's the next? Just give me the next Number question. Five. French people smell bad. Okay, <sighs> French people on average. I'm going to make this more so it makes it more sense. I, I just French people on average smell worse than Americans. See, however I answer this, I'm insulting someone. <laughs> really? Well, uh, how are you insulting? I don't understand. If I say the French don't, then it implies Americans smell. If I say the French do smell, I'm saying the French smell. Well, I think either I, way, I am insulting people. Well, I'm all about the truth, Joe. So let's go to the truth. What what do the French people do? What's what's the answer? Do French people smell worse than Americans? Uh, no, because they wear a lot of perfume. Okay, so you got that one right. Thank you. French people, it says, the magazine says, practice hygiene and typically take baths or showers at least once a day, like Americans. They are very into their bodies, yes, and their health of their bodies, yeah. And their natural uh, bodily functions, Mark, I well, learned recently. Well, it said that this stereotype, oh, yes, we'll talk about that in future shows. <laughs> I had to give Mark a yes. little look there. Not this yeah. one? No. Well, we're oh. going to bring a specialist in to talk about that. Don't Good. worry. All right, all right. Okay, so this stereotype was actually earned during the Middle Ages. Oh, is this a Jeopardy question now? Do I answer with a what is? No, no, no. I'm, t I'm telling you, this, this, this idea that the French smell bad, it comes from oh. the Middle Ages, I guess, when people took less showers, or maybe the French took less showers, and they got this reputation from, like, you know, the 14, 1300s. <laughs> right, when, when no one had showers. Right, and so the, this stereotype, which evidently has lasted for uh, a thousand years. Oh my gosh. Has uh, stuck. So, uh, but <laughs> I guess there's no truth to it. So that's. What you're telling me is I'm right that the French do not smell worse. No worse than you or I. Is it equal again? Well, that's what it says. It's equal. Oh, so I did get it right. Yeah, you got it right. Even though it was equal. It's equal. You got it right. Okay. All right. So the f next one French people wear striped shirts. You know, you've seen those strikes. <laughs> like the mimes? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Wearing the beret? Yes. Fr uh, and, and, and to put it in, in, more, in a better language you understand, French people wear those striped shirts more than Americans. <laughs> no, here's, here's what I'm going with here. Okay. So just like the showering thing that began years ago, yes. I'm sure that at some point some famous Frenchman walked on a tightrope in a striped shirt Yes. and then solidified this image right. in the psyche of the world. Right. So one day, Gerard Depardieu wore this shirt, <laughs> and then from then on, it became a stereotype. Yeah. So I'm going to say, no, that was either invented by a single Frenchman or invented by American, the American movie theater complex. So you're correct. It's not true. It used to be the official uniform, actually, for the French Navy seamen. 
uh, following <laughs> the 1858 Act of France. Originally, there were 21 stripes, one f- uh, for each of Napoleon's victories. Oh. And some people say that the distinctive block pattern and stripes made the sailors easier to spot in the water if they ever <laughs> fell overboard. Well, it's also nice that he didn't want to uh, arrange them in concentric circles. <laughs> Like a bullseye. <laughs> yeah, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> so today, uh, the article, uh, the magazine goes on to say that few French people wear striped shirts as a fashion. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I got that one right. You got it right. I got so it you're right. So you're, you're, you're doing better. You're well, doing I'm better. catching on here. Okay, here's another one. All right. All French people walk around carrying baguettes. Now, to make it, you know, so All, you more yeah. under, you know, more <laughs> All right, well, here, here's what French I'll say. people walking around carrying breadsticks than, than in America. Than breadsticks than American people. Yes, of course, because in America, you get the sliced white bread that lasts for a month in your cupboard. And I've had folks from Europe come over here, and when, when they see bread lasting right. a week or longer, sure. they refuse to eat any more of it because they think it's radioactive or, or full of preservatives, which it is. So is I, that is that true or is that a yeah absolutely no man bread in the U.S. lasts freaking forever okay put a McDonald's cheeseburger out on the dashboard of your car it'll look exactly the same in four weeks well, all right I, I mean is that not a is lick that the, of mold on is that, that bread. the only thing we have it compared to is the bread on a Big Mac well here's, guess, no here's what I'm okay. saying any bread go out and get any any bread in America we like bread to last a long time over in Europe you're buying bread more regularly from local bakeries even supermarkets for that matter. And so, and yes, so in France, you will see more people walking around with baguettes. But I mean, they're basically saying that people are just doing not, the stereotype is like everyone's just walking around with a baguette in their hand. There are more people in France walking around with baguettes in their hand All right, do you per want, capita than here in the U.S. Right, do you know what the answer is? I already know what the answer well, is. Here with the, here's what the expatica says. Big towns, little towns, remote towns, they all carry baguettes and often more than one. You cannot walk more than a block or two in most towns without seeing a French person with some sort of I told bread. You, told you. Before work, after work, during the middle of the night, you name it, the French just seem to be toting bread. Well, it's because it doesn't last long, man. They buy bread like the day of consuming it. The next day, it's a little stale, and they're going to... Don't you think that's a little strange? That, like, oh, people are just constantly... <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I think that's a little weird. Well, I mean, look, it's... I'd it's, say that's true. <laughs> I, and like, you know, just you're around, and everyone's just like, oh, there's Billy with his, you know, <laughs> two sticks of bread again, because that's what he likes to carry well, around. Well, you know, look, we buy a new coffee every morning, <laughs> so... If, I don't see the analogy there. I mean, you know, with a... Sure. You, in, in Europe, bread is a single-use item. Are you carrying that one cup of coffee with you all day <laughs> and just that cup wherever you go? I don't know, man. Uh, a lot of people do. I think it's a little Anyway, strange. I'm pretty glad I got that one right. You did get Feeling it right. Feeling pretty good over here. You did, but I think it just made me want not want to go to France, but that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Look at the ingredients on, on your loaf of bread at home. All right. It's like wheat and then preservatives. Mine says 100% bread. Yeah. Okay, no, the next one. <laughs> Definition of bread brought to you by the Breadmakers Association of America. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> and preservatives group. Okay, the uh, next stereotype. Uh, the French eat escargot, which uh, our, our listeners should know as snails, and frog legs. This is something that's true, that they eat 
or eat fairly common or or, or or eat more often than Americans maybe is this is this true or false well when you say escargot the French word for snail yes it's kind of tricking my mind why because it's like French eat a lot of fromage yes well <laughs> no. You're like priming my mind to think. Well, that's why I said. That's why I said snails. Okay, all right. Yeah. So they, it does sound a lot nicer when you say escargot. Well, yeah. So we're talking again. The question is, per capita. Yes. Are there more French people eating snails and frog legs than here in the U.S.? That's what I'm asking. Mm, yep. Okay. So the answer is true. Yes. You can easily find. Uh, both escargots and frog legs in restaurants, and is far more common in France than the United States. Yeah. Now, still, you'll probably find them in more uh, expensive restaurants and nicer restaurants in France, but but hey. So, uh, the next one. Uh, yep. Let's go to the last one. Yeah, sure. Take me to it. The French eat a lot of cheese. Mm. More yeah. cheese yes. than Americans. Yes, yes, yes. No, wait, wait, wait. Wait, wait. Are we talking... More cheese processed per- cheese like Velveeta and American well, it doesn't sliced say. cheese. Any cheese, any cheese. If per uh, cheese per capita, mm, just say cheese per capita. I don't know, man. Do, are we counting things like macaroni and cheese in the U.S.? Yes. Oh, then the U.S. eats way more cheese. No, you're wrong. French people eat Ow! eat a lot of cheese, and cheese uh, and the cheese sections in, in the supermarket are usually huge. It's a big part of French life. Eating cheese. Uh, is institutionalized at a very young age in schools. And, and even in preschool, cheese can be uh, served three to four times per week. The only <laughs> caveat is is that cheddar cheese is never served in the schools. Jeez. I'm going to call... Um, Do you know why? Well, mm, it's, it, it doesn't fit their national palate. Cheddar cheese is an English cheese. Ooh. What about Roquefort? Uh, I'm pretty sure that's French. Oh. What? <laughs> <laughs> Lindsaydale cheese? <laughs> I don't know about that one. Hey, so, so I'm gonna, but I'm going to call on this on this last question. I'm going to call uh, shenanigans, Mark. Why? I'm calling an official Weinfeller shenanigans because I don't think they did this study correctly. If you look at how many times kids in the U.S. are eating microwaved cups of mac and cheese and yeah. lunchable cheese. Well, I guess if you count that and, like, nacho cheese. Dude, uh, we're in, like, cheese in the middle of the hot dogs. Yeah. They, it's, there's cheese everywhere yeah, I don't, I mean, it's if you count that as cheese. So, yeah, we can, we can take issue with that. I, might, the, hell, I mean, heck, we even have the Cheesecake Factory. That's right. So, I mean, yeah. who knows, who eats yeah. more cheese? Let's see you top that, French. I mean... <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Okay. We need to, we need some independent verification. Because when I went to one. France, all they had was the fromage factory. Oh. Okay, so the second <laughs> the second story. That sounds like a horrible place to go eat. It's not even cheesecake. It's just the cheese factory, <laughs> the fromage factory, the fromage factory. Oh all right, God. our second story. Yeah, I um, the, I, I'm not even gonna let you do this. No, no, this no, is good. No, and I'm cutting this off. No, no, this is good. No, because I know what it's gonna. I it's I read the synopsis. It's different than you and think. it mentioned North Korea, and different. I said no, no yeah. more North right. Korea on the show. If you're tuning into the Wine Fellers for the first time, we seem to have more than abundance of stories that associate uh, wine with North Korea for whatever reason. It just seems that that's what happens because you do that. Well, no, that's that's what's t- hot in the news, and I just you know that's what's People are Instagramming and, and Twittering. I can't prove that false right now. No, you can't. So, 
the second story. Now, this actually has to do with wine, sort of, but actually has to do some with more of my favorite pastime that I mentioned to our listeners is running. And looking up North Korean news stories. <laughs> and looking up North Korean news stories. <laughs> All right. So, to go, let's, my favorite let's, pastimes. Let's get it over with. So the world recently flocked to North, Korea, to North Korea for the world's strangest marathon. The world did not flock to North Korea. All right. They didn't. The best attended <laughs> Pyongyang marathon ever took place with around 1,000 foreign runners descending on the North Korean capital to take part under the watchful eyes of strict guards and soldiers. <laughs> Sounds like a blast. The, the day the, the day after Pyongyang claimed it could guarantee it could launch a nuclear attack against the U.S., residents lined the streets of the city to <laughs> cheer on local and tourist runners. <laughs> During the race, oh boy. foreign runners were not allowed to interact with the local residents lining the streets and vice versa. Weird. However, according to the creative projects manager of North Korea, Juan Moshidian, genuine interaction does happen, usually with eye contact or smiling. <laughs> Plenty of interaction. Yes. Although, <laughs> although taking photos and video footage during the race was not banned, uh, taking pictures of the enormous statues of Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il was banned and would get a participant disqualified. <laughs> hey, there's one other type of, um, of communication that uh, they participate in over there. What? They do a lot of crying. <laughs> not just yeah, smiling and that. looking. There's uh, well, I'm, you remember when Kim Jong Il died? Yes, I remember. Everyone cried. Uh, well, no, I'm trying to find over the top. Uh, Kim Kim Jong Il. Il. Yes. Oh, who's the guy now? Un. Yeah, not you're right. Kim Jong the no, second. they're not crying for him. <laughs> so, a more serious offense was if you decided to take pictures of the generals or any of the leaders sitting in May Stadium, which is the largest stadium in the world, according to a <laughs> says. Their propaganda no, team. No, I think it's actually huge. Oh According to a participant from London, Miss Huang, if you take any pictures of the leaders, you're in big trouble. So, uh, sounds like an interesting marathon. Uh, conse consequences of failing to comply with rules such as these can be dire. Uh, for example, Otto Warmbier, a 22-year-old U.S. student, is currently serving a 15-year hard labor sentence in North Korea for the crime of removing a propaganda poster from a hotel last January. I remember that story. Uh, man, he got the freaking book thrown at him. I know. Him. That was pretty bad. I mean, he, he didn't he get like 18 years hard labor? Uh, he got 15, yeah. He's, he's a goner. So guards lined the entire 26.2-mile race route to ensure that no one stepped out of line. Uh, but despite runners describing the mood at the event as solemn, it was said that the hosts of the race were still welcoming. <sighs> was this news article written by their news agency, Mark? I don't think so. So behind the yeah. behind the guards that line the extra uh, the entire race route, and we're talking about twenty six miles, were thousands of cheering North Korean residents. Now, this is this is interesting. Occasionally, running foreigners attempted to high-five the North Korean residents. This is a true story. Unfortunately, the residents often incorrectly interpreted this gesture as the runners were trying to hit them. Oh, my gosh. Are you serious? Yes. Uh, 
<laughs> so this was a clash of East make, uh, meets West. So the West, you know, the runners are all happy and they're trying to high five the bystanders. And then the bystanders are like, why are the Westerners trying to hit us? They, <laughs> see, our, our dear leader is correct. They hate us. Oh, this is a horrible thing, Mark. So most of the bystanders on the race route stood on the sides of the roads, repeatedly shouting, Anyang, Anyang, which means hello. So... <laughs> Many runners mentioned that the city of Pyongyang was clean and has a very unique atmosphere with some beautiful architecture, uh, but there were not many cars. And uh, <laughs> runners said the atmosphere in the huge stadium where the race ended was mostly jovial and supportive. In the stadium, tens of thousands of cheering locals greeted the 1,000 participants. I just have so many problems with this entire story. Why? I don't even believe that it really happened. No, this is a true story. Every year, because you know I, I like to run, and um, every year they oh hold this marathon in North Korea. Now, you, are, you're, you know this is true. This is a true story. Do you know story. anyone who's, who's participated in this? No, I think it's probably harder for Americans to get in and on that. Um, and there's some people who, rightly so, say that you shouldn't run it. Uh, as uh, because they have a an abysmal human rights record and it wouldn't be a right to support a country such as North Korea as they do that. So that makes sense. Uh, hey, Mark, I just found that picture. <laughs> yes. Where Kim Jong-un is uh, standing with a group of women and children. Yes. And they're all just trying to hold back the screams and tears of fear. Yes. If you're standing next to Kim Jong-un, you want to make sure you're doing everything correctly with no babies crying or anything like that. No. So I'm going to post this to our Instagram account. Okay. To kind of set the, the, the mood with this uh, terrible, horrible race. Well, I heard, and this is just rumors on my part, that uh, Kim Jong-un, well, he took part in the race and he ran the marathon course twice. <laughs> in 12 minutes well that's what i heard you know he is a deity right uh well i think his father was i think he's like a junior deity so he's like the deity's son he's like a geody from uh from a uh like from half human half god sort of thing yeah i'm not sure no i'm pretty sure his father is considered a deity right but this guy was uh created out of the womb of a humanoid uh, I don't remember the exact story, but I think a lion was involved, and uh, of course, and, of course. and uh, toothpicks. But there's something like that. But that's what uh, you know. So, so you know, I, I that is our, our North Korean news story, and uh, you, you can understand why this is an important story to say on the Weinfellers today. You really, you really uh, played it close on this one, Mark. What do you mean? Well, I uh, halfway through that story, I almost just stopped the entire show because. It still is very strongly about North Korea. It well, no, we talk, it was basically only about North Korea. Well, we talk about the news. We talk about North Korea and wine. Um, yeah, and this was more like North Korea and running. Did I not mention wine? Well, I kind of blacked out in the middle of it from rage. Okay, so I might have missed something about wine in the middle of the story. Well, I think maybe what I didn't mention is is that I think after the race. There were probably some participants, it didn't say this in the story, but there were probably some participants who enjoyed a nice glass of Korean wine. That doesn't make you have a hangover, if you'll remember. Well, guys, you've, uh, you've heard it here on The Wine Fellers. Uh, we're uh, basically a show about drinking wine and talking about North Korea. 
In a good way. In a good way. In a very good way. Mark, it's been a pleasure. I can't wait until we're back next week. All right. You've been listening to another exciting episode of The Wine Fellers, North Carolina's only fine wine radio program. And I've had such a great time today, Mark. Me too, Joe. But the good news is is that the fun can continue online. (laughs) You're absolutely right. Visit us online at thewinefellers.com where you can learn more about today's program and listen to previous shows. See you next week. Songs and melodies change and change and sway, but they still stay the same. The songs that we sung when the dark days come are the songs that we sung when we chased them away. If I ever found a pot of gold, I'd buy bottles untold of the nectar of the vines. Cause I'm gonna die with a twinkle in my eye. Cause I sang songs, spun stories, love, laughed and drank wine. Tomorrow is another day.
good evening.